This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. step away from the real world today and make our way to a new place. To get there, you need a car, a boat, a bike, a snowmobile, a camper, a plane, a rocket ship, and some neon rollerblades. Hi, Barbie. 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 It's the 1A Movie Club, and we are going to Barbie Land. The highly anticipated Barbie movie arrived in theaters this weekend with no shortage of pink, 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 hot pink, and lilac pink. It was the biggest opening weekend for a female director, raking in around $155 million. Some of you shared your own Barbie memories with us. Your experiences varied a lot. My mom would not let me have Barbies when I was young, but my very best friend, that was all she had. So we played with Barbie. We made Barbie movies on her old Hugongous tape recorder. It instilled in me an enormous love of Barbie. And when I got older, I started become becoming a Barbie collector. I didn't really play with Barbies as a kid. I had good friends who collected all of them and I think I had inherited a couple from my older sister. I'm 70 years old, and I found Barbie, when I was a child, to be obnoxious and an insult to all women. I don't understand why it's a movie now. It's a waste of time. Is Barbie a waste of time? How does the iconic doll translate to the screen? And just how meaningful can a film get when a corporation is so involved? We'll dive into those questions and so much more for this edition of the 1A Movie Club. I'm Celeste Headley in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Just a heads up, there will be some spoilers, but we promise to not ruin the movie for you. We'll be back in just a moment. This message comes from Wired on Wired Politics Lab you will be guided through the exciting, challenging, and sometimes entertaining vortex of internet extremism, conspiracies, and disinformation. Listen to Wired Politics Lab wherever you get your podcasts. Let's welcome our panel for this edition of The Movie Club. Joining us now to talk about all of this is Lovia Jace. She's an arts and culture critic at The Hollywood Reporter. Lovia, welcome back. Hi, thank you. Tanya Lee Stone is a writing professor at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont, and the author of The Good, the Bad, and the Barbie, A Doll's History and Her Impact on Us. Tanya, welcome. Thanks, Celeste. And John Horn is film critic and vice president of the 1A Movie Club. John, good to have you with us. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Or shall we call you Ken for the hour? You can. You can. My abs aren't as good, but yeah, go okay. for it. Uh, so, Livia, first... Uh, you heard one of our listeners say the Barbie movie is probably a waste of time. Your reaction? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't think it's a waste of time. I think there are a lot of things we can talk about um, that maybe didn't go as well or could have been better. But I actually think Barbie is such a cultural phenomenon that 
even the absence of her still generates conversation. Um, so I have to respectfully disagree. So, John, uh, a quick response from you as well. Um, Barbie movie worth having a movie about in 2023? Uh, 100%. And not only because it's a great movie, but also for proving that right-wing critics like Senator Ted Cruz, Wall Street Journal reviewer Kyle Smith are totally out of touch for the country. And also, probably most important, six out of four stars for the It Is Literally Impossible to Be a Woman speech by America Ferreira's character, Gloria, which might be one of the best monologues in modern movie history. I went to see the movie with my wife, who was in tears during that speech. I suspect hundreds of thousands of other women were as well for having a character say publicly what so many women feel privately. Um, I think it's a fantastic movie. Tanya, I'm sure you don't think the Barbie movie is a waste of time because you have thought a lot about Barbie. You wrote a book about Barbie's history and people's opinion of her in 2010. You've seen the movie. Three times. <laughs> Three times? Holy cow. Uh, what did you think of it? I thought it was fantastic. And, and you know, I absolutely agree that Barbie is an important conversation to have because it is so representative of so many different kinds of conversations that we can have about feminism, about equality, about patriarchy, and, you know, on and on and on. And I could not agree more about that monologue. The first night that I saw it was Friday night. And the audience erupted into cheers. And that was followed by all of the people around me who were in tears. Yeah. So I was also surprised at that monologue because it comes in and yet they, again, a small, very small spoiler here. They then repeat that monologue over and over for reasons. And I was surprised at how many variations on that monologue they could come up with. But Lovia, it it kind of speaks to something here because this movie is coming out at a time in which the, the film companies are in the middle of a labor strike. And I, and I wonder what you think about the writing in the movie. For me, it was the writing itself which kind of carried it along. What did you think about the, the, the dialogue here, turning a doll I- into a, a, a real character? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I am a big fan of Greta Gerwig's films, and so I didn't expect anything less than great in terms of the screenplay, which she co-wrote with her partner, her creative partner, and her partner, um, Noah Baumbach. Um, I think that imbuing Barbie with a sort of existentialism is very in line with Gerwig and her filmmaking. I mean, from Frances Ha to Lady Bird, even Little Women, which is, you know, another adaptation of sorts. Um, She sort of turns the character's... um, from Louisa May Alcott's book into sort of representations for contemporary women. Um, So I really enjoyed the writing. I thought it was incredibly clever. Uh, I thought it was a really funny film. And even if all the jokes, you know, didn't work for me because uh, some of them were a bit too on the nose, I still think that the narrative um, as a whole, like the screenplay was quite strong. So... We talked about going to Barbie Land, and that's not uh, a metaphor. Barbie Land is the location, is the eye candy of the film. Um, let's hear what screenwriter and director Gre- Greta Gerwig had to say about bringing Barbie Land, Barbie's home, to life. That feeling of wanting everything inside of the box and all of the her little her shoes and her hair to be perfect, everything just so. And I think kind of 
keeping that fantasy in the forefront of my mind and and thinking about how just little girls all over the world felt the same way I did. And um, that was that was a big part of it, was making sure I was like, never forgot that experience, that I didn't let the adult part of my brain take over and, and run the show, that I was like, but what did the little girl want? It was like, brighter, brighter pink. <laughs> so... Let me go to you first, Lovia, because you're talking about things being on the nose. And I assume that you are referring to the the monologue, uh, especially. Um, but that part of it, the uh, naming these things that Barbie represented, and in a certain case, Barbie represented perfection, right? Wanting everything to be perfect in the box. Um, what did you make of that? You know, I think that there is real power in naming... Um fraught situations, right? And so I don't want to take away from the power that that monologue has for a lot of people. I think um, for me, the tension comes from the fact that at the end of the day, this is a film produced by Mattel. Um, And so the production and thinking about sort of the corporation that is at the center of this in some ways, like I, I really want to credit uh, Gerwig for etching her own self, her own sense of self in the film. I think that's incredibly difficult. Um, but it was hard for me, I think, to maybe make that emotional connection because I kept thinking, ah, yes, well, this is just the beginning of another franchise where Mattel is going to, you know, I think I read somewhere, raid their toy box and see what else they can make. And so for me, a lot of the on the nose, you know, it's like you can only do a send-up, you can only be subversive to a certain extent when you're, you know... Making money for a corporation. Right, yeah, you're in service ultimately to a brand. So, John, what's your response to that? And I got to say, you know, I went into the movie not expecting to like it all that much because, um, A, I'm always suspicious of movies that are overly hyped, I I always assume they're overhyping for a reason. And the other thing is I'm always suspicious of movies that have a multi-million dollar corporation behind them. I really liked the movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, But what do you make of the fact that there's this tension in and of itself between Greta Gerwig trying to make a, a, a statement with this movie, which I actually think she does successfully, and the fact that the movie is going to make a lot of money for Mattel? I think given the circumstances, she did a great job. Yes, Mattel is the producer. producer. It's it's Mattel's toy. There are kind of loose shackles on what Greta can and cannot do. Given that, I thought she did a lot more than I would have expected. Yeah. And I would, I would recommend people go see a movie documentary from 2018 called Tiny Shoulders Rethinking Barbie, huh. where Mattel lets two filmmakers in to talk about redesigning Barbie. And Mattel is very aware that Barbie is a controversial toy and let these filmmakers in. And Mattel, I think, is more open to Barbie conversations than you would think. We're discussing the Barbie movie for this edition of the 1A Movie Club. Stay with us. We've got a lot more still ahead. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hello, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Join me each week on In Black America as we profile current and historically significant figures whose stories help illuminate life in black America. You don't want to miss the conversation. KUT Radio and In Black America are members of the NPR Network. Thanks for listening to In Black America. Let's get back to the conversation. Let me go to you, John, because you are a film critic. Um, and, and so let's talk about the, the success or, or lack of success of this movie as a film and, and a narrative arc. Uh, because it, it does need to be a compelling story, doesn't it? We need to care about these characters and, and what happens to them. Um, and when you're talking about characters who live in a fake place like Barbie land, uh, do, you, do you think it holds up in terms of, of caring about their story? You said at the top of the show, we're going to leave the real world. Yeah. You just said this is a fake place. I think it's a real world. And so I think what we're seeing is obviously fiction and it's hyper, uh, it's hyper designed by Sarah Greenwood, but it's a real world where real people face real problems. Yes, they're dolls. Yes, they're make-believe, but they're actually dealing with what people deal with in life. So I think it's important to say that even though this is make-believe, it's really grounded in reality. And I think that's where Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach succeed in writing this story. So yes, there is a narrative arc. You know, I, ba- I think you can basically say all movies come down to one or two stories. Stranger comes to town or hero goes on a journey. Um, and this is the hero's journey story. But when you look at the hero's journey story, there are so many little things that I think are really important. There's a tiny little scene that Greta Gerwig had to fight for on a park bench where she's just sitting, Barbie is sitting next to a woman, older woman, played by a famous costume designer named Ann Roth. It doesn't advance the story at all. And basically the conversation is Barbie telling this woman how beautiful she is. And Greta Gerwig fought for that scene because without it, the movie doesn't make any sense. Like that Barbie is out to find out what the real world is like. And she sees these this woman and notes that she's pretty. They go on Venice Beach and actually during production, Men who were spectating the, the filming were like high fiving Ryan Gosling. They were ignoring um, they were ignoring uh, Barbie herself, uh, played by Margot Robbie. So, yes, it is more real than you think. And I think it takes a little bit of time, maybe ten minutes, to get going, really. But I think once Barbie does go on her journey, the movie does take off. Um, but I think the exposition at the beginning has to set that up. Um, so I think as a story, it works well. But I do caution you and everybody else, this is real world. This is not make-believe stuff. And that's why America Ferreira's speech makes so much sense at the end of the movie. So comments from our listeners. Rob emails, I offered to take my wife to see Barbie, but she shut me down and said she was going to go with a group of her female friends. Ah, Rob's wife. Um, Eric saw the movie this weekend and says, I'm a 44-year-old single man with no kids. I saw Barbie last week for the sake of the Barbieheimer memes. I was absolutely blown away. I laughed from start to finish and cried twice. It is a very funny movie. I laughed from the beginning. And the Barbenheimer thing uh, that uh, Eric is talking about is people who go to see Barbie and then Oppenheimer. Uh, So... Lovia, let's talk about the Kens. <laughs> um, because Ken the doll was created only as Barbie's accessory. He is Barbie's boyfriend. And that is one of those things that's named in this movie um, and pointed out. And um, it's named because it makes a big difference. That's one of the ways in which Barbie land is very different from the real world. What did you make of that? Did that work for you? 
You know, I think that the Ken arc um, was a really interesting way to sort of layer what the film is really about, right, which is about, like, patriarchy and its insidiousness um, by showing how patriarchy is not only toxic to um, women, but it's also toxic to men. And so, you know, I think part of why that narrative, that part of the narrative worked for me was just because um, Ryan Gosling was incredible in that role. I mean, just, like, showing off his comedic chops is always such a pleasure to watch as, a, as an audience member. Um, and we know that he has the ability to, like, do the drama. Um, but his performance, I think, really seals the deal because you can sort of see um, how he, when they, when he leaves um, Barbie Land with Barbie, Margot Robbie, also become sort of um, infected by, I, I'm using these like sort of viral terms, but really like that the patriarchy also becomes part of him and it's not necessarily like the win that he initially thinks that it is. So there's also a, a storyline dealing with weird Barbie. And, and John, I wanted to get your take on this because this is what I was talking to Lovie about earlier, this idea of perfection. And um, they try at one point to put stereotypical Barbie back into her box, right? And there's no putting somebody back in the box, right? Perfection, people aren't perfect. Um, but Weird Barbie is, is a Barbie doll whose hair has been cut and, and somebody drew on her in marker. And that's played by Kate McKinnon, which couldn't have been better cast. Um, this was it was a joke, but did you find other commentary there? Did that have a, a stronger meaning behind it? I, I think it does uh, to an extent. And one of the things that's important to note about Barbie's design is the reason that Barbie's body didn't evolve is that so that mothers could give their Barbie clothes to their daughters and they would fit. So that's part of the history of Barbie. Weird Barbie is, you know, she is somebody who doesn't want to fit the mold. And I think in, in many ways, she represents the way that some kids would play with Barbie. They're not going to be, you know, tied to the way she should look or, you know, in a box or wearing these outfits. Um, and she also is kind of the stand in for this matrix scene where you're choosing between, uh, you know, A and B. I won't say much more about it. Um, there are many great references. There are two references to The Matrix, um, an opening reference to 2001. But I think what Weird Barbie is saying is basically don't be a conformist. You have a choice to either, you know, wear the clothes that your mother gave you or go out and shop yourself. And I think that's a consistent theme. If you start thinking about Greta Gerwig's movies, what Weird Barbie is saying is basically what Greg Gerwig has said in the movies she's acted in or written or directed, and that is women should define themselves rather than let other people define them and conform to expectations. True in Frances Hobb, Mistress America, Lady Bird, Little Women, certainly with Barbie. And I think in, that, in a way she represents kind of Greta's feeling of like, be a rebel, do what you want to do, don't let other people tell you what to do. And that's and Barbie listens to her because that is, I think, in some way, she's channeling Greta as a storyteller and saying, don't toe the line, do something different, make a choice about what you want to be and who you want to be, not what other people expect you to be. Uh, Carol emails us this. There's so much to recommend in this movie, but I want to give a shout out to Weird Barbie. After my daughters were done with their nice phase with their Barbies, they cut their hair, used markers on their faces, 
dropped them out of windows and ran over them with their bikes, creating many weird Barbies for this to be acknowledged in the movie was fantastic. And Larissa saw the movie this weekend and said, I was lukewarm about my Barbie dolls and didn't get them for my daughter, but I loved the camp, joy, and storyline of the movie. Its feminism resonated deeply with me, and I'm so glad it included the arc addressing patriarchy. We'll talk more about Mattel's involvement in the film and what it means when brands get involved in the filmmaking process. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Now let's get back to this month's edition of the 1A Movie Club. We are talking about Barbie. The movie made 155 million smackaroos this weekend, and it takes you to Barbie land in all of its fantastic plastic. Some of you made your own Barbie land as kids. This is Tara calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. When I was younger, I had the Barbie townhouse, camper, and airplane. And we used to play with Barbies at recess. My mom made me give all my Barbies away when I turned 13. We, We moved, and I was able to go and babysit, and I bought all the Barbies again. (laughs) I had Barbie, Ken, Skipper, PJ, and Christy, the first black Barbie. And I was so excited. I love Barbie. The first black Barbie appeared in 1980. Because there weren't black Barbies, uh, I was not allowed to have any growing up. So, Tanya, how much of this movie touches on the, the history of Mattel and Barbie? It was mixed for me on that front. Um, I think in some ways the the root intention and the heart of Ruth was in there for sure, kind of threaded all the way throughout. And on the other hand, I could have done with actually more Ruth and less of the Will Ferrell, Willy Wonka patriarchy gang. <laughs> that is a very interesting way to, to, to put that. Um, and let me bring this to you, Lovia. Mattel had a big hand in making this movie. This is the first movie from Mattel Films. Uh, There is a moment when Barbie walks into the Mattel boardroom and sees, after coming from Barbie land where everything's run by women, sees an entire company run by men. Um, What did you think about Mattel's presence? Did you feel the presence of this corporation in the movie? Was it it Mm. felt? You know, I think that this is, again, maybe my own cynicism, but... I think in 2023, especially, corporations recognize that they have to be a little bit the butt of the joke um, in order to court younger audiences who are hyper aware 
of, you know, the damning history of a lot of these corporations. And so while I am on the one hand impressed by how much Greta was able to do um, just like aesthetically, right, I'm also like, yes, I think this corporation, especially, you know, as we've been talking about, is much more one that's much more open to the discourse around this doll. Um, they would kind of recognize that they need to be made fun of a little bit. And and when I reviewed the film, I sort of called it light prodding. Like these are sort of like light jokes that are kind of like, ha ha ha, like the, this, um, there are no women in the executive suite of this uh, corporation that makes one of the most popular dolls in the world. Um, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Just like that, I feel. <laughs> John, that brings me to you. How common is this to see corporations involved in uh, the making of a film and how involved do they become? It, it really depends. But yes, I mean, this is what Hollywood is obsessed with what they call IP. And that is intellectual property that has built in brand name awareness. And certainly there've been a lot of like board games that have been turned into movies. Maybe you forget Battleship. Um, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get a bad movie. And it really has to deal with, you know, the filmmaker and whether or not he, she, or they are able to make the movie that they want to make within the confines of working with a corporation. And you could say, like, Castaway could have been any courier service. It was FedEx. Did that make it a FedEx promotion? I don't know. Good movie. Uh, let The Lego movie. Like, that's, a, you know, a movie where you just say, oh, come on, and you go see the movie and it's fantastic. Yes, it's about Lego. Does it advance the brand? Maybe. Is it also a really good movie? It advances Absolutely. the brand. It makes okay. you want to play with Legos. Okay. Spotlight. <laughs> Spotlight advances the brand of the Boston Globe. Probably a more worthy a brand to promote than, than Lego or Barbie or Mattel. But sometimes you can make a movie that has a tie to a real entity, and it might promote that entity, but it may also be a really good movie. And it might make a comment about that company that is worth uh, making. And I think in that context, we should also mention Matchbox 20 and the song Push, which features very prominently. So Greta Gerwig is using a Matchbox 20 song called Push, whose lyrics include, I want to push you around while I will, while I will, I want to push you down while I will, I will, I want to take you for granted. That song, to me, it's like, oh, my God, this yeah. is such a horrible song. And Matchbox 20 defense of it was, yeah, it's kind of ironic. It's kind of some character's point of view. It didn't come across that way to me. It was like, this is a horrible, misogynistic song. And that's so how she can, portrayed it. Correct. So you can take this thing, which is this Matchbox 20 song or Lego or FedEx or whatever it is you're working with and make a point. And Matchbox, Matchbox 20 is probably, oh, great, great product placement. But again, it's making a point that is not the point of the original idea. I will say, to be fair, I I did immediately go home and look up Mattel's board of directors, and there were 11 members on their board of directors, and five of them were women. So just FYI. Um, but John, they, not all critics have been uh, quite as enamored uh, of Barbie. Uh, the Wall Street Journal movie critic Kyle Smith said that Barbie is, quote, a template for how not to write a crowd-pleasing Hollywood feature. He panned the movie. Um, it has called up a lot of very negative, angry emotions among some members of the film-reviewing community. I mean, Joe Morgenstern, the former critic of the Wall Street Journal, was a genius. Kyle Smith is, you know, should be on the op-ed pages of the journal. I read his review and my blood was boiling. 
here's here's and I mentioned it at the very top of the show. As bubbly as the film appears, its script is like a grumpier than average women's studies seminar. At one point, nearing the climax, Barbie stops cold, so a Mattel doll designer, America Ferrera, she's not a doll designer, by the way. Right. She's a receptionist. With oppressive inclinations can deliver a long monologue on how miserable it is to be female. This is like white male privilege, like five stars, you know, fireworks. Let me tell you how you should be behaving, women, review. I was appalled by it. Um, and I, I guarantee you, Kyle Smith has not been in, in any women's studies seminars, or if he was, he was asleep because he doesn't get it. And, you know, there are other people who have been critical of the film. Ted Cruz had some crazy thing about the maps. The map has England with a crown on top next to Asia. The map is make-believe. It's not talking about Vietnam the, and The map has Barbie land in it. Need I, I say know. more? Come it, on, people. It's... But, yeah. Kyle Smith, to me, is representative of why this movie is actually important, that he thinks it's wrong to have a movie that challenges the patriarchy, proves that you need a movie to challenge the patriarchy. So, Lovia, what about Greta Gerwig? She's the director. She, as you mentioned, one of the writers. Well-known. We've mentioned several times her work in indie films. Some people said they thought this was Greta selling out. Um, she has made this well-sponsored, huge box office hit. Um, where does What does this mean for Greta's career? I think that this is an entertaining movie. You know, I want to say that I didn't really... I think the way that with movie culture now, I mean, this has always been true, but maybe social media has just heightened it, the sense that, you know, you have to land um, on one side or the other and fight aggressively um, for a film. I saw this film a couple times, and I was like, both times left it, and I was like, this is... This is really impressive in a lot of ways. You know, this, maybe the story didn't resonate with me as much, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to resonate with other people. I think this really, you know, continues to affirm that Greta Gerwig can etch her signature. And by signature, I mean, like, her aesthetic sensibility, her narrative interests, um, even into a huge corporate behemoth. And that is really exciting um, in terms of what she's going to do in the future, I think, as... You quoted at the top that this had made the most money of opening weekend for a woman director. Correct. I mean, that's a, that's huge, right? And and so I think that, you know, her projects are just going to continue to be more ambitious, and I'm really excited yeah. um, to see where she goes with it. Tanya, I was interested to see that this movie is both marketed to and actually works for people who love Barbie, of course, but also people who hate Barbie. Um. What what did you find in here, Tanya, for those who have always seen Barbie as anti-feminist, as upholding an ideal female form? Um, you know, it you immediately get the joke of Barbie standing on her tiptoes all the time um, as upholding this absolutely unattainable ideal for women and 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 hurting women ultimately. I think actually something you just said reminded me that one of my favorite quotes from the movie, right at the beginning, almost a throwaway when she goes up to Weird Barbie's house, is I would never wear heels if my feet were shaped this way. And that is really, you know, it was a throwaway moment, maybe. It was, I had to listen to it a couple times uh, afterwards to really catch what she said. I totally forgot about that. Right? But um, it, it's really the embodiment of a lot of what's going on in here. And and I also think that Margot Robbie's kind of humble embodiment of Barbie in her portrayal, at least as I saw it, um, has something to do with this question as well. Um, 
You know, in the end, after doing all the research that I did and talking to as many people as I did, 500 people, right, wrote to me, um, I really came away with it in terms of whatever lived experience we are bringing to this plaything and whatever play experience we have brought to this plaything is kind of what we attach to it. And I think that's why there are such very passionate pro or con opinions about it. It touches some kind of core wounds um, on so many different fronts, I think. Um, and I think anytime anything can inspire that kind of reaction in somebody, it's going to have legs. Like we're going to keep talking about it, whether, whether you think it's anti-feminist or whether you think it's pro-feminist. So uh, before we go, John, I got to read you this email from Jessica who says, I enjoyed the Barbie movie and had many laughs but left agitated. It, it felt so on the nose regarding misogyny and the patriarchy. Um, I also felt the movie focused too much on Ken's feelings. I enjoyed Ken's character, but do we really care about Ken? We care about Ken because Ken has to join the real world. Ken has to figure out it's not all about him and what he wants. It's what a partnership and a relationship looks like. And for anybody who's seen the movie or hasn't seen the movie, I have to recommend again the 2018 documentary, Tiny Shoulders Rethinking Barbie. You can stream it on Hulu. I talked to the director of that film five years ago. She said, one of the things we found fascinating when we were looking at the doll is that it mirrored the fact that women get lambasted for almost anything they do. We were filming during the period when Hillary Clinton was running for president, and we were listening on the radio to the fact that if she changed her hair color or wore a different color suit, that would be a subject of conversation. There's nothing that women do that isn't a subject of conversation and not just a subject of conversation, but a subject of criticism. That's the director of Rethinking Barbie channeling America Farrar five years ago talking about Barbie. So Ken just has to grow up. Ken has to become a little more uh, conscious of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a partner, and what it means to be in a relationship. And we won't give that spoiler away over whether that happens or not. In 30 seconds that we had, uh, Lovia, the movie, in the end, would you recommend people see it? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that it's so exciting that people are going to the movies and they're enjoying something that isn't Marvel. And I saw it. <laughs> three times and mostly because I was just trying to figure out what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. And seeing it with the crowd is really, I mean, it was really yeah, it was moving. Fun. I was like, you know, so many people have incredibly different reactions um, to the film. So yeah, I would go out and see it. Yeah, the whole room was laughing when, when I was there. Um, Lovia Jache is arts and culture critic at The Hollywood Reporter. Tanya Lee Stone is writing professor at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont, and author of The Good, The Bad, and The Barbie, A Doll's History and Her Impact on Us. And John Horn is film critic and vice president of the 1A Movie Club. Today's producer was Jorgelina Manarea. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Celeste Headley, in for Jen White. We'll talk more tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. 
Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity. It tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism. Immersive and intimate stories. I was stone cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.